Hey there, McConaughey here. And I want to let you in on something. Master distiller Eddie Russell and I have created a new small batch bourbon, Wild Turkey Long Branch, refined with Texas mesquite charcoal for a smoky sweetness. It is my favorite bourbon on the planet. Wild Turkey Long Branch, real bourbon, no apologies. Wild Turkey Long Branch, Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. 43% alcohol by volume. Campari America, New York, New York. Never compromise. Drink responsibly. It just proves that happy endings are not just in fairy tales. They're real and true in real life also. And I want to start off with saying things are not always as they appear. Welcome to Insight. I'm Charlie, and with me today, as always, is my co-host, Allie. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. You know, we're recording a little later than usual, so I'm just going to really try to stay awake for this. (laughs) (laughs) Drink up some coffee. Oh, I've got plenty. Yes. So before we get started on today's story, I just wanted to give a quick update on the Brendan Dassey case. We updated in August that Brendan Dassey's conviction was thrown out, and the state is appealing this decision, of course. This week, it was ordered that Brendan should be released pending this appeal, and the state, of course, appealed that as well. On Thursday, it was ruled that Brendan will stay in jail pending the appeal, so I imagine this was a roller coaster week for him and his family, and certainly even for his online supporters. So tonight's story is one that I followed from the very beginning, like day one, when it was at the time very briefly considered a missing persons case. And I followed it right on through when it was obvious it was a murder and missing person case to when the truth of the whole story finally came out. So we are talking about the murder of Dee Dee Blanchard at the hands of Nicholas Godijon the secret online boyfriend of her daughter, Gypsy Rose. I'm going to put in a brief language warning. We usually don't swear on the show, but we do have a few quotes that include cursing. As the truth started coming out, it just kept coming out, and I'm sure there will be even more coming out in the upcoming years about this family and this case and what led up to it. But for now, let's go ahead and just start with the people Dee Dee and Gypsy were known to be before Dee Dee's murder. On May 3rd, 1967, Claudine Petrie was born in a small town in Louisiana, and her parents were Claude and Emma. According to a family member, Emma was really protective of her youngest daughter and kept her really close. However, other than being overbearing, it seems that Claudine had a very normal childhood by all accounts. The family wasn't well off, but they were hardworking, and it didn't seem like they had any major needs not being met financially. And I'm, I'm just saying that to give some background before we talk about her adult life. I think it, it, I mean, it might sound kind of cliche, but I think the juxtaposition between her upbringing among hardworking people and then how she supported herself as an adult is very interesting. In 1991, Claudine, who was at this point going by the nickname Dee Dee, married Rod Blanchard. She was 24 and pregnant. Rod was only 17. And at the time, they could measure their relationship in months, not years. On July 27th, 1991, and I'm just going to emphasize 1991, Gypsy Rose Blanchard was born shortly after her parents had separated. She was not named for the burlesque dancer, though a lot of people, a lot of people rightly wondered about that. Gypsy Rose Lee, the burlesque dancer, had a stage mother who pushed her and her sister onto the stage to earn money to support her and themselves. She also forged multiple birth certificates, making the girls older or younger, depending on the needs she had. And she did this to the point that the girls weren't sure how old they were until they were adults. And so we'll see some similarities crop up with this Gypsy Rose. However, she was not named for that Gypsy Rose. It's just an interesting coincidence. Gypsy was born 
slightly premature, possibly, but she seemed healthy. Dee Dee became worried about Gypsy's health when Gypsy was only a few months old and it was off to new doctors and more tests every time she got it into her head there was something wrong with the baby. Dee Dee would think that Gypsy wasn't breathing during the night and would wake her up and tell Rod that Gypsy had breathing problems and that's why she'd take her to the doctors repeatedly, different doctors, hospitals. There were so many tests done and they couldn't find anything wrong with her at that stage. And it really seems the sleep apnea was the first illness and it, it goes on from there. Rod eventually remarried, but Dee Dee never did. Gypsy lived primarily with Dee Dee. After the marriage ended, Dee Dee and Gypsy were living with Dee Dee's parents in 1997, Dee Dee's mother died, and at some point, Claude, her father, had remarried. So when Gypsy was still quite young, she was out riding a motorcycle with her grandfather, Claude, and there was a spill of some kind. It was evident to everyone who was there that Gypsy was fine, except for an expected scrape or two. But according to Dee Dee, Gypsy now had to limit how far she could walk, and she had to spend all her time in a wheelchair. However, a cousin of Gypsy's remembers playing with her when she was around seven or eight years old, and Dee Dee wasn't around. And Gypsy would act just like a normal child. She would run and jump and play. But as soon as Dee Dee got back, she would rush right back into the wheelchair. Gypsy would remain in a wheelchair, in public anyway, until her mother's death. And according to the same cousin, Dee Dee also strictly controlled the food Gypsy ate. She often used a feeding tube. Dee Dee would tell people that she had to limit Gypsy's diet because certain foods would make Gypsy sick. The family eventually started confronting Dee Dee about Gypsy's health and how she was treated. They also confronted her about the health problems that were plaguing her stepmother. And like what will happen from here on through... As soon as someone confronts Dee Dee about what's going on, Dee Dee stops communication and leaves with Gypsy. Although it is possible that she was kicked out of her father's house, however, I couldn't confirm this other than what other family members reported. But what we do know is Dee Dee's stepmother's health issues resolved shortly after Dee Dee moved out. A family member also speculated that Dee Dee was responsible for all the cooking in the household and she was intentionally making her stepmother sick. So after Dee Dee leaves the family's home, she moves into low-income housing. She continues to relentlessly take Gypsy to doctors for a whole host of ailments, whether they be real or imagined. And because of this, Gypsy was subjected to evasive medical tests. One of these, Dee Dee insisted that there were problems with Gypsy's eyes and they were affecting her vision. So a doctor's apparently operated. And then Dee Dee would say that Gypsy drilled too much. So her salivary glands were first injected with Botox and then they were removed. And Dee Dee would say that Gypsy was having seizures. So doctors would give her medication, which caused major dental issues, and eventually her teeth would fall out. Dee Dee also started having trouble with the law. When this actually happened isn't clear, but the family alleges Dee Dee took out credit cards in other family members' names. And in, and in addition to that, in the late 1990s, Dee Dee was charged with passing bag checks. So we'll fast forward to Mardi Gras 2001. The Ronald McDonald House had nominated Gypsy to be the honorary queen in a family-friendly Mardi Gras parade. Dee Dee was then going by the nickname Dino, and she stated in an article that they've been staying at the Ronald McDonald house since Gypsy was, quote, three days old. This is the earliest incidence I found of Gypsy being in the news due to her health issues. In this article about this honor, Gypsy stated her grandfather Claude was her best friend. And the article also mentions that Gypsy was homeschooled. And as a former homeschooler, I'm going to go ahead and put homeschooled in quotes here. But she attended CCD at a local parish. Those are religious ed classes. And the parish was working on fundraising efforts to get Gypsy a portable feeding pump and an assistance dog. At this point, 
2001, we now know Gypsy had a feeding tube in place. Feeding tubes are essentially used for people who are malnourished and unable to be nourished properly through normal eating. This doesn't point to a specific diagnosis, but it is in line with the muscular dystrophy diagnosis that Dee Dee claimed Gypsy had. However, later through her medical records, it was found that her muscle biopsy to test for muscular dystrophy actually showed that she did not have the disease. Then sometime in 2002, Dee Dee more or less cut off contact with her extended family, though Gypsy's dad, stepmom, and siblings still saw her for about two more years. In 2003, Gypsy had been saving her allowance for a trip to Disney, and instead of doing that, she apparently used it to buy food and blankets for the homeless. Because of this, Gypsy was given a sponsored trip to Disney from the Children's Wish Foundation. Now, this foundation grants the wishes of children with illnesses that mean that they won't live as long as they should. And they chose Gypsy because she was supposed to be confined to a wheelchair while battling leukaemia and a host of other serious medical issues. Actually, I guess this is as good a time as any to talk about Gypsy's supposed medical issues. Both Charlie and I went through all the news articles over the years of when Dee Dee would present Gypsy as a seriously ill child. And believe us when I say there are definitely no shortage of publicity about the two of them. At various points, Dee Dee claimed that Gypsy had epilepsy, leukaemia, muscular dystrophy, spina bifida, vision and hearing impairments, nocturnal hypoventilation, allergies, asthma and paraplegia. Now some of these can be comorbid conditions, however it would be quite the case if all of these conditions presented in the one person. And knowing what we know now, of course Gypsy didn't have all of these conditions. In 2005, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and it destroyed many homes. Dee Dee and Gypsy relocated to Aurora, Missouri, which is near Springfield, Missouri, and they had claimed that their home had been destroyed. Dee Dee's sister has said on social media that this is true. They were forced out of their home by the storm. Because I did see some things online that people were questioning that, so it did happen. According to her sister in one of the discussion groups, her, from what she understands, the apartment where she lived was destroyed. Okay. Now, just a quick side note, when Hurricane Katrina hit, my cousin and her four kids came to live with us while her husband had their home repaired. And at the time, I had three kids ages six and under, and my fourth baby was born while they were there. But, you know, no worries. Our house was about 1,200 square feet, so we had plenty of room for three adults and eight children. No problems. It was great. It was fine. <laughs> Due to Gypsy's fragile medical condition, Dee Dee and Gypsy arrived by helicopter to St. John's Hospital, and it's the employee at St. John's that allowed them to live in their rural home rent-free after they arrived. Around this time, possibly when they arrived or possibly shortly before they left New Orleans, Dee Dee rolled back the clock on Gypsy's age, and she provided a birth year of 1995. She and Gypsy began telling people that she was 10 instead of 14. And apparently Dee Dee had a birth certificate to prove this younger age, and she started presenting herself as Claudinia instead of Claudine, she added an E to the end of their surname, changing it from Blanchard to Blanchard. And she claimed Gypsy's medical records had been lost in Katrina. Remember, Gypsy wasn't in school, so it's not like she was trying to enroll an eighth grader into a fourth grade class. There really was no check on this rollback of her age. It appears that Gypsy's education halted somewhere around the second or third grade level. Whether this was done because Dee Dee simply didn't care to educate her, or if she purposely wanted her to appear younger, I mean, who knows. Habitat for Humanities is a Christian ministry that aims to provide affordable housing to low-income individuals and families. And in 2008, they built a handicap-accessible home for the Blanchards. It included a ramp, lowered light switches, 
wider door frames, and essentially everything someone would who was confined to a wheelchair would need to have in a fully accessible home. It had a jacuzzi tub that Gypsy said was for her muscles. Habitat for Humanities has a very strict application process, and the Blanchards passed it. I don't know what to make of that. Dee Dee and Gypsy immediately made friends in the neighborhood, and they were described as sweet, kind, loving. They would host movie nights at their home, you know, setting up a projector in the backyard, and they would just charge a little bit of money for snacks and such, and they said that this money was, they were raising it for Gypsy's various medical expenses. I know, Allie, you are unfamiliar with the fact that we have heavy medical expenses with sick children here, but having to raise money for medical expenses is not unheard of here in the United States. So that brings us to 2009. Gypsy and Dee Dee were featured in a publication from Children's Mercy Hospital in Kansas City. The profile of them doesn't list Gypsy's medical issues. However, it does quote one of Gypsy's doctors. This particular doctor is a specialist in pediatric sleep disorders. Prior to relocating to Kansas City, this doctor treated Gypsy in New Orleans. Due to patient privacy laws, it is unclear what he was treating her for and how much he knew about the various stories Dee Dee was telling people. Because I do suspect to a certain extent she was telling the doctors close to the truth, I mean, with the super serious stuff like cancer, doctors would be able to debunk it fairly quickly. Others like allergies and maybe asthmas or certain sleep disorders, they would be easier to fake. And then she was telling everyone else her version of the truth, i.e. lies. Look, my daughter was hospitalised last year for several weeks and I could have told everyone any story I made up. And who is going to question a parent of a very sick child? Yeah, I had a similar experience. My son was in the hospital when he was a baby and he was on oxygen support and he was he was sick. He looked sick. He had an IV. I could have told people anything when really he he had bronchiolitis, which is a fairly common childhood illness. I could have said anything. And like you said, who would question me about it? Even if they thought I was exaggerating, who would actually call me on it? That's the thing. My daughter was in and out of hospital until until her major operation when she was three. She didn't look sick. She was a bit thinner. She got tired a bit easier, but she looked healthy. So, But no one questioned me. They could have. She had a serious problem, but they don't because it's not morally correct to question a parent of a sick child. I mean, my mind doesn't go to someone making something up. Exactly. And Gypsy looked sick. She was very small. She was thin. She was pale. Dee Dee shaved her head. She wore oversized glasses. She wore oversized clothing. Gypsy, any picture you see of Gypsy, she doesn't look like a well child. I did see an interview with her and Dee Dee, and she looked very frail and sick. Like You wouldn't question it. Why would you? Right. And I mean, and who would have guessed that this mother who seemed so devoted to her daughter was behind that? I think that was another thing. People thought Dee Dee was just the picture of a selfless mother. Exactly. So to travel to and from Kansas City, Gypsy and Dee Dee used Angel Flight. And that's a service that flies patients who cannot use normal commercial travel to their doctor's appointments. They use this service numerous times at an estimate value of $500 each time. Now, to use this service, like the Habitats for Humanity House, they would have to get some sort of signed medical release from a doctor to show that they had a need of some kind. Later in the same year that they were featured in the Children's Mercy Hospitals publication, 2009, the police arrived at Dee Dee and Gypsy's home to investigate claims of an anonymous caller. This caller alleged that Gypsy did not have all the ailments Dee Dee had reported and that she had given multiple birth dates. Now, this caller was specifically concerned that Gypsy might be kidnapped or a runaway, a missing child, that there was something going on that she was hiding out. 
So then according to the police report, Dee Dee told the officer that they had left New Orleans after Katrina, and it was due to fear of her ex-husband that she altered Gypsy's information to prevent him from being able to find them. Rod's new wife, Christy, she's contradicted this directly on social media. She admits that they hadn't seen Gypsy in years and that Dee Dee was blocking access to Gypsy. She also said Rod paid child support and was in touch with his daughter. Whenever he wanted to come up and visit, Dee Dee always made an excuse about why he couldn't come at that time, and she never seemed to offer to bring Gypsy down there. I did read that Dee Dee was telling people that her her ex-husband was abusive, and that's why Gypsy didn't have a relationship with him. However... That is very questionable. There's no evidence that that was actually the case. No, and in a recent article, Rod and Christy provided photographs of them with Gypsy when they still lived in New Orleans, and it seems pretty obvious that they were in contact, and he was paying child support. They were under the impression that Gypsy was a very ill child. They did not financially benefit from any of this, and it's it's more than likely... I mean, I believe them that they really had no idea that she wasn't a sick kid. Because I do see that questioned a lot online. Because Rod was paying child support, why wasn't he more involved? Why wasn't he asking more questions? But this whole time he was trying, but DD would make excuses up at the last minute why he couldn't see Gypsy. And we, this is one of those situations, again, where Dee's controlling the information. We don't know for sure how much she told them versus what she was telling Gypsy's doctors, versus what she was telling friends. It seems like there's just this, this, all this information about Gypsy that's out there, and who knows how much of it was ever accurate. They do have that collection of photos up to shortly before Katrina showing that they were involved in her life in New Orleans. And even after Gypsy turned 18... And his legal obligation to pay child support expired. He continued to pay $1,200 a month in support because Dee Dee had him that convinced that Gypsy continued to need constant care and medical assistance. And that's a fair chunk of money as well. It wasn't that he wasn't trying to help when he wasn't concerned. He obviously was. Oh, I know so many people who have way more children than that who don't get that much child support. That is a significant child support payment to continue paying for five years after your legal obligation, you don't do that if you don't care. Exactly. And if you and if you don't believe your child really does need that. So when the, the police did leave after Dee Dee provided a social security card confirming Gypsy's identity, and the officer believed that Gypsy did have some type of mental disability, and he left. Before we get into the lead-up to Dee Dee's murder... Let's just answer a big question our listeners may have. Why didn't Gypsy at any point in time leave? After all, at the time of the murder, she was 23. Basically, she tried to leave, is the answer. One time she ran away to a friend or a boyfriend's house. She had gotten a ride from a neighbor there, and Dee Dee showed up with a fake birth certificate proving Gypsy was a minor. They Nobody there wanted to deal with, you know, being caught delinquency of a minor or whatever they sent her back with her mom and there was another time at a sci-fi convention that gypsy snuck off into a hotel room with a man she had met online he was in her 30s and she told him his real her real age which at the time was 19 which still he was in his 30s she was 19 but she was legally an adult except everyone thought she was a 15-year-old girl with the mental age of a 7-year-old and that this man had taken her into a hotel room. Anyone who's been to these conventions will know word spreads very quickly, especially in a tight-knit group like this. So they banged on his door, and he was completely ostracized from the group over this. Dee Dee's control over Gypsy and her online activities increased at this point after she had met this man online. She eventually started letting her guard down again, and Gypsy started getting online after Dee Dee would go to bed at night. Because apparently I read that Dee Dee took sleeping pills some nights to help her sleep, which then would have given Gypsy more freedom to to feel safe going online. 
In October of 2014, Gypsy messaged a neighbourhood friend from a secret Facebook account under the name Emma Rose. Gypsy and Dee Dee shared a public Facebook account that they used to keep everyone updated on Gypsy's health and different events they were going to, a Facebook page that would become very important really soon. But Gypsy actually had a number of private Facebook accounts that she kept hidden from Dee Dee. And in this conversation with her friend on the Emma Rhodes account, she talks about how she met a man online two years previously, but she'd kept the relationship a secret from Dee Dee. And she had met this man, Nicholas Godijon, on a Christian singles website, christiandatingforfree.com. Nicholas was a 26-year-old man who lived in Big Bend, Wisconsin, with his mother and stepfather. He had a previous arrest for carrying a concealed weapon after a McDonald's manager called the police to report a man watching pornography and masturbating in a booth for up to nine hours. Yep, that happened. When the police arrived, Nicholas claimed he was just scratching himself. He was arrested when the police found a large switchblade in his pocket. Gypsy told her friend that she and Nicholas were both Catholic and planned on marriage. They had children's names picked out and the whole nine yards. They had an elaborate plan to have him just happen to meet Dee Dee at the movies one day. However, from what I could find in my research, I don't think this ever happened or that Gypsy and Nicholas actually ever met prior to when Nicholas travelled to Missouri to kill Dee Dee. And by all appearances, Gypsy successfully hid the relationship from her mother. And this online persona Gypsy was living was very different from the sick little girl Dee Dee was portraying her as. Facebook pages and messages later uncovered showed that Gypsy and Nicholas had, or at least fantasised they had, a BDSM-style relationship. And other pictures surfaced of a very grown-up looking Gypsy Rose dressed as Harley Quinn and playing with a knife. And I've seen that photo. It looks nothing like the other photos that are around of Gypsy. So while Gypsy was pretending to be a 19-year-old with significant physical and mild intellectual disabilities, she was living a more adult life fitting of the 23-year-old woman she was. Gypsy and Nicholas's messages eventually turned to the topic of DD and her control and abuse. There were texts and messages exchanged talking about Gypsy's desire for her mother to die and Nicholas's plans to let his quote-unquote dark side out to murder her. On Sunday, June 14th, 2015, friends noticed an odd Facebook post on the shared Facebook page of Gypsy and Dee Dee. It simply said, the bitch is dead. While friends commented concern and such under that, another post showed up in the comments. This one said, I fucking slashed that fat pig and raped her sweet, innocent daughter. Her scream was so fucking loud. LOL. And these are the Facebook posts that I saw. I can't remember where, but somebody shared this on where I could see on Facebook. And I saw this and the news report that something was going on. And I started following the case at this point. You can still access that Facebook message now because I saw it recently. Yeah, if you go out to the the Gypsy and Dee Dee page, it's still there. It's the remembrance page. Friends started calling them, of course, and there was no answer, so they called the police and also headed over to the house to see what was going on. Dee Dee's car was still there, but no one answered the door, and this was unusual because they only had the one vehicle and it's not like they went out walking all the time. The windows were covered, as was usual, so there was no really peeking in options there. The police did not have a warrant to enter right away, so a neighbor climbed through a window to look around. He walked through the house and out the front door, but he didn't see anything. Later that night, at 10.45, the police got a warrant, and they found Dee Dee dead on her bed. She had been stabbed multiple times, and it was reported the next day that Dee Dee was killed in a violent manner and that Gypsy was missing. Obviously, the sheriff was asked why didn't the neighbor see Dee Dee's body, The sheriff said he understood why the neighbor hadn't seen the body, but wouldn't comment on why. So I'm going to go with Hoarder. I mean, I don't know. I haven't been to the house. But Dee Dee was 
was an obese woman. She would have been noticeable laying face down on a bed. But if the room was a mess or there was laundry piled up on the bed that maybe was purposely put up there to obscure her, I mean, maybe she was obscured from view. I did see it online, what people thought, and they did mainly go with that laundry piled up on the bed idea. I mean, why you wouldn't be digging through the clothes. There was no way you could have seen her if that was the case. Also in the house were all of Gypsy's wheelchair and assisted movement devices. All of them were accounted for. So one of the first tasks the police undertook was to secure the proper warrants to trace the source of that Facebook posting, but they already had a pretty good idea. Because if you remember, Gypsy told a friend about this online relationship, and she showed the messages to the police. And that posting led them to 26-year-old Nicholas Godijohn's house in Big Bend. On June 15th, the police announced that Gypsy was located safe and a person of interest was in custody. Then, when asked directly by a reporter if Gypsy could have been involved in the murder, the sheriff simply said they were exploring all angles. The Springfield detectives traveled to Wisconsin, and on June 16th, in a press conference, the sheriff gave the shocking update on the case. I mean, you guys won't find it shocking because we've pretty much given it all away, but not only was Gypsy being arrested along with Nicholas for the murder of her mother, she was not in a wheelchair, and they were beginning to suspect that her illness was a financial scheme. Gypsy and Nicholas were both charged with first-degree murder, and they were extradited back to Missouri. And as far as Nick's family knew, he had met a girlfriend online and brought her back to Wisconsin. So you can imagine their surprise when an armed response team showed up to take the two out of the home. And Nicholas's stepfather told the press that Gypsy was totally fine. She was walking and talking and acting normally. He said there's nothing wrong with her. The murder weapon and bloody gloves were found, and because we're not talking about criminally sophisticated people, they had mailed the knife to Nicholas's house, and that's where it was found. That was is bizarre to me. Why didn't they just ditch it somewhere on the way back to Nicholas's house? Why send it to himself? I don't understand that there are plenty of lakes in the Springfield area the Lake of the Ozarks is down there, which is a large system of lakes. And they took the bus to Wisconsin, which would have stopped several times. They could have chucked it in any field between Springfield and Big Bend, and no one would find it. So I'm not sure why this was part of their plan. The only thing I could think of was Gypsy gave Nicholas the knife. I don't know if that was why he wanted to keep it, if it was sentimental to him. That actually makes sense. There was some a reason they wanted to keep the knife. I hadn't thought about that. Once the interviews or interrogations began, the truths or versions of the truth started coming out. Gypsy wrote the Facebook posts. It came out that Gypsy had been using three dates of birth, ranging her age from 19 to 23, and it came out that she was able to walk and didn't need the wheelchair. In his confession, Nicholas said he stabbed DD because Gypsy wanted him to. He also said that he considered raping her, but he decided not to. Gypsy confessed to being in the house while her mother was stabbed and knowing Nicholas was going to do it. When Nicholas cut his hand while stabbing DD, Gypsy tried to clean his blood off his hands with a baby wipe. She left the house with Nicholas willingly in the cab on Wednesday, June 10 at around 5am. Gypsy walked and carried her own bag. Gypsy was wearing a wig and the cab driver took them to the local hotel. When the police executed a warrant of Nicholas's home in Wisconsin, Wisconsin, when police executed a warrant on Nicholas's home in Wisconsin, they found about four and a half thousand dollars in cash. Since they had already paid for cabs, hotel rooms, bus tickets, and who knows what else, it's hard to know exactly how much was actually taken. They later left Springfield on Friday, June 12, on a Greyhound bus. 
Sunday, June 14, is when Gypsy posted the Facebook message. She said she did that because she wanted her mother's body to be found. She said Nicholas told her what to post. And on Monday, June 15, is when Gypsy and Nicholas were taken into custody. So back to the Facebook post, why the urgency in having Dee Dee's body found? What was the plan for afterwards? I mean, were they just going to go back to Nicholas's home and live happily ever after? Because she was going to be found eventually. Was she just going to pretend she made this miraculous recovery? Was there even a plan? I think it wasn't a plan. I think either she was super anxious waiting for her mother's body to be found. She said the way she described it made it sound almost like she felt bad that her mother's body was just laying there and not being taken care of or properly buried. Yeah. But it could have been that the anxiety of waiting for the shoe to drop was too great for her. That she wanted to get that over with. I have no idea what they, either one of them, thought the plan was going to be. Did they think the police couldn't trace Facebook? Did they think that they wouldn't have checked all their computers and found these Facebook accounts? I have no idea what they thought was going to happen next, and I can only think that they didn't think past getting out of Missouri. After Gypsy's attorney got most of her medical records, which took a while because Dee Dee, not Gypsy, had medical power of attorney. Gypsy, at 23, did not have access to her own medical records. He took them to the prosecutor and a plea deal was made. Gypsy pled guilty to second-degree murder and was sentenced to 10 years. She needs to serve 85% of her sentence, and with the time served already, she should be out in 2023 when she's 32 years old. Nicholas was set to go to trial in November, like right now. Uh, However, he requested a bench trial, and this means he won't go before a jury. He'll have a judge decide instead. This is not terribly common for a number of reasons. And one of the biggest is that a jury trial requires 12 people to agree to convict you. A bench trial, what the judge says, goes. So with a jury trial, you have a chance of them talking each other into an acquittal or a mistrial with a hung jury. But with a bench trial, that option's off the table. And I don't know why he decided to go with a judge. I mean, we could speculate. One reason could be that the average person is more likely to be swayed by emotion or factor in the brutal details of the crime, whereas a judge is supposed to be more impartial and more focused on the law. Another reason might be that because his defense isn't so much that he didn't do it, but rather that there were mitigating factors as to why he did it. It has been reported that he's on the autism spectrum and he has been examined by a psychologist. They may be focusing more on defending him against a long sentence than they are on defending him against a conviction entirely. Because he's up for first-degree murder, isn't he? He's not second-degree. Yes, he yep. Yes, and I don't know even if he was offered a plea deal, if he turned it down, if the prosecutors didn't even offer one. And we will definitely update the resolution of this after his tri- trial or if he pleads out ahead of time. And it's not part of Gypsy's plea bargain that she testify against Nicholas either. Correct. Naturally, many people are thinking about Munchausen's by proxy, and this is a mental illness that everybody who's watched Law & Order knows all about. It's where someone makes another person ill or fakes their illness for attention, and there usually isn't direct financial fraud involved. However, in this case, there very obviously is, which then leads us to something called malingering by proxy. And malingering is faking the illness for financial gain. Now, a person can have both. And I think that's what we're looking at here. They can alternate between these two motives. Didi may sometimes have just wanted the attention and then sometimes saw the potential for profit. Or maybe she started it for attention. If he, Before Gypsy was born, Rod had already left her and they were in the process of getting a divorce. 
She may have been doing this for his attention. She may have been doing this for her family's attention. And then Dee Dee upped the game when she saw that she could make money off the situation. Or maybe it was all about the money and the attention was just the bonus. I mean, we don't know because Dee Dee isn't here to tell us. We can only look back at those 23 years of Gypsy's life and take our best guess. And my best guess is it was both. I agree. And Gypsy said something in her only interview so far that hit me. She said she thinks her mom would have been a great mom to a sick kid and that the problem was that Gypsy wasn't really sick. And now I get why she's saying this, and I think it's a generous way to look at her mom, but I don't think it's true. No matter how sick Dee Dee pretended Gypsy was, the next time she turned around, there was another illness on the list, a worse illness. I don't think that a genuinely sick kid would have ever been sick enough for Dee Dee. Exactly. And I think Dee Dee, I'm just going to be honest, would have been more likely to have killed an actually sick child with all these surgeries and medications. And Gypsy is probably alive right now because she was healthy and her body could fight what Dee Dee and the doctors were doing to it. We didn't go through all the places that they got assistance or gifts or benefits based on Gypsy's supposed illnesses and disabilities. I mean, some of these places didn't require, require any real proof, but, you know, Habitat for Humanities, Ronald McDonald House, they stayed at Hope Lodge, which is somewhere people can stay for free. It's through the American Cancer Association while they're getting cancer treatments. They stayed in all these places and they require proof. Make-A-Wish, disability payments, angel flight, they all require proof. So this makes me wonder, what was Gypsy's real medical condition? verified by doctors we don't know that because that's something i wasn't sure of was whether dd was intentionally making gypsy sick or was she just inventing these illnesses and conditions because the thing is giving gypsy those anti-seizure medications seemed calculated especially when you would have to be there for the horrible side effects so was these medications making gypsy sick and then therefore allowing them to use these services. I mean, there's a scarier option, and it's that the doctors just believed Dee Dee that Gypsy's medical records were lost and just didn't verify. I get that you wouldn't want to put a child through more tests, like, you know, another muscle biopsy or whatever, but when you're treating a seriously and chronically ill child on the mother's say-so, it doesn't seem kosher to me. So I don't know. Well, again, going back to my own child, before every procedure she had, there were tests and there were retests just to make sure they were doing the right thing. I do find it hard to believe that the doctors are just happily operating on this child on the mother's say-so, even if she knew all these medical terms. That just sounds bizarre to me, and these doctors are accountable for anything that has happened. There is one doctor who saw Gypsy and wrote in her medical record that the mother was unreliable. He suspected Munchausen's by proxy, but he didn't report it. I don't think he was entirely sure. But as soon as he started questioning Dee Dee a little bit stronger, she left and found another doctor. Yeah, but he would be a mandatory reporter. I would think that he would have to report it, regardless of whether or not he was 100% sure or not. I agree. I think he should have reported it for sure. I'm I'm trying to be generous in why he didn't, but <laughs> he should have reported it if you suspect something that severe. Now, it is very rare, so it may just be easy to talk yourself out of it because it is such a rare situation. And a story like this, is it, it feels like it's out of a horror movie. It doesn't seem like it could be a real thing. So I can understand a doctor not believing it. Right. Even looking back, knowing everything, I still have these huge questions. I mean, obviously, we don't know everything because we don't have her medical records. And I'm sure over the years, a lot more to this story will come out and we'll be happy to update it. I would highly suspect when Gypsy does get out of prison, there will be a book. And I will need to read that book. I would find it interesting to know just a little bit more. And that actually leads me into what I wanted to talk about next anyway. And Obviously, Gypsy knew she could walk, and she knew she was faking 
not being able to walk, and she knew she was faking acting like a little kid. So she knew some of those, but maybe she didn't know all of it. She may have thought she really did have cancer. So let's kind of talk about the scams a little bit. Obviously, you can't blame an eight-year-old for pretending to be in a wheelchair because her mom told her to. But Gypsy was 23. So what? where does child Gypsy and adult Gypsy, where's the line between that? Does 23-year-old Gypsy get a pass on this? But as you said, she may have thought she was sick. She was getting these medications that were, to a certain extent, making her sick. And all she ever had was her mum. Everyone else were was excommunicated. So why wouldn't she believe her mum? That, that's who was there for her. Yeah, I think we can't separate 23-year-old Gypsy from 8-year-old Gypsy because there was no alternative to her. And the two times she tried to get out from her under her mother's thumb, she got dragged right back and people supported it. People sent her back. The police were called and questioned and bought the whole act. I think it would be difficult for her to see a way out except to keep pretending. I mean, this is like a domestic violence situation and people are saying, well, why didn't she or he just leave? It's not that easy. When the abuse goes on for so long, there is no other option in there may not have been another option in Gypsy's mind. I think we can't emphasize enough that this is literally all she knew. She didn't spend more than a few hours out away from her mother for 23 years. This is how they supported themselves. This is how they paid the bills. She had trouble reading and writing. She had a second grade education. What was she going to do? I mean, it It's almost like she was in a cult. If she escaped the cult, then what? She'd be homeless. She had nothing. Now, people might ask, why didn't she tell her dad? Why didn't she tell her stepmom? We really don't know what Dee Dee was telling Gypsy at that point about her dad or about her stepmom. So what do you think about the sentence? She ended up pleading to second-degree murder, and she got a 10-year sentence. Do you think that's a fair sentence considering her role in this? I am very torn on my opinion of Gypsy. One moment I'm like, poor girl, and maybe she should have went to trial because, again, the emotions, she may have got a lesser sentence. But the next minute I'm like, she's pulling the perfect con. As tragic as this whole story is, she seemed to have conned and manipulated Nicholas into killing her mother in cold blood. And I think she does need to be held accountable for that. I think if all you learned growing up was to manipulate. Had she not gotten some type of sentence, which will hopefully include some type of mental health help and maybe education and training. I know that's hoping for a lot in the U.S. criminal justice system and in the prison system, but hopefully there is a way for her to become a productive adult. I Before the sentence, before the plea in the sentence, I was on a f- online group and someone said, what do you think should happen to Gypsy? And I said, I think she should get a 10 to 15 year sentence so that she gets out in time to have a productive rest of her life, but that she had some forced time to to maybe learn a different way. And I've seen it said on these discussion groups that she's freer now in prison than she ever was under her mom's thumb. And now I haven't shared any of the pictures online because they are in a private discussion group, but her stepmom has posted pictures of her and she's completely unrecognizable from that sick, frail looking, almost like an old lady child to what she looks like now. Dee Dee would shave her head saying, oh, the cancer medication is going to make it fall out anyway, so you might as well shave it. Well, she's grown her hair out. She actually looks tanner in prison than she did, which is, that hit me as a physical representation of all of what Dee Dee was doing to her with the medications and such, that now that she is not taking these unnecessary medications, she looks healthier, even though she spends most of her day inside 
in a prison. And she does look happy. You can see in her eyes and in her face, she looks healthy and happy. It's sad that it had to come to this, but um, hopefully she does have a chance of a normal life in, what is it, eight years, seven years Right. Uh, Yeah, I think about seven and a half years. Her dad and her stepmom have traveled up here to Missouri. They're in regular contact with her that hopefully they'll also have the time to prepare themselves and learn a little bit about what Gypsy will need coming out and be ready to help her when she comes out. I think Gypsy has a chance at a better life than she would have otherwise, though I still stop short of thinking murder's okay. You know what I mean? It's it's hard to yeah. think Gypsy's so much better off, but that doesn't mean it was okay to murder somebody. Yeah, it's a tricky situation. There's no right answer here. I feel like I have cognitive dissonances. You know, I'm of two minds about this. And when it comes to Nicholas, he's the one who had the knife, but he's kind of the forgotten one in the story because he just swoops in at the end. But I'm interested to see what more we learn about him, what motivated him, what made him susceptible would he have been violent otherwise? I think I think there's still more to his story. Because reading about his criminal history, besides that incident at McDonald's, which really wasn't a violent incident, he has no other record. No. We'll definitely learn more about his story and about Gypsy's story in the future. I just do worry when Gypsy does get out, unless she gets the therapy and the life skills she needs... I do worry that she'll get into another relationship that's abusive because looking at statistics, she is predisposed of that happening again. So I really do hope that they prepare her and her family are ready to prepare her to go out and live a normal, happy life because she deserves it after everything she's been through. Yeah, I agree. So thank you guys for listening. You can find us on Facebook at Insight Podcast. We have both a page and a group. Just request to join the group. We share lots of great articles. Our listeners, you guys are so great at sharing articles. I've learned about so many cases. We've had some really great discussions in there. So definitely keep that up. I'm on Twitter at InsightfulPod, and Allie is on Instagram at InsightPod. You can email us at InsightfulPod at gmail.com. We have Patreon, just search for Insight Podcast, and it's been very helpful. We're getting closer and closer to our next goal, which just makes us start looking at our next goal. So thank you guys so much for that. Your holiday cards will be on the way. And we also have a really great website, and I really want you guys to go check it out. And Allie, do you want to tell us about the website? Yes, on the website, which is insightpod.com, you can access all our episodes, some of the research we've done. There's also true crime articles and reviews, links to our Patreon and PayPal accounts, as well as merchandise. So head on over. All right, and we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.